When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everybody, to the Boiler Alert Podcast. With you, as always, I'm your host, Andrew Ledman. Brian Barbon. And I'm coming to you from God's country. I'm currently recording in Lafayette in preparation for uh, a trip to the Neon Cactus, a Purdue basketball game, and a Purdue football game, and if time allows, maybe even a Purdue volleyball game. Um, so I'm excited to be back, Ryan. Very excited. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty nice triple threat there. Four, if you uh, get volleyball in. That's true, Just, yeah. It's good to be back, um, I'm sure. I will also be at uh, two of those events. So, That's right. Um, for those who don't know, I've never actually met you in person. That is true. That is true. So, we'll have what? a reunion of sorts. I'll know yeah, your voice. Exactly. We'll have to see each other. It'll be like a... It'll be like a rom-com. We'll hear each other and run run through maybe the Mackie concourse, uh, and you just hug. Right, or the piano bar. Yeah, whichever we see each other first. You just never know. <laughs> right, absolutely. Yeah, so today we're going to talk about Purdue's victory over Samford. We're going to talk about the newest wrinkle in the Michigan uh, sign-stealing scandal that involves Purdue uh, this time, even more so. And then we're going to take a break and look ahead to the game against Minnesota. And Ryan and I will provide our predictions as always. Um, so before we get into the game against Sanford, Ryan, did you see the newest uh, wrinkle to this Michigan scandal that involves Purdue? I did, but unfortunately I am not the lawyer of the podcast. So <laughs> right, right. Understanding it was another matter. Yeah, so Michigan basically says, hey, you know, everybody does this. This isn't a real problem. Uh, you, we shouldn't be punished for it. And then to kind of bolster their case, they have put out information that basically accuses Rutgers and Ohio State of sharing offense and defensive signs with Purdue uh, prior to last year's Big Ten championship game. So there's no real there's no real details on kind of how that transaction occurred. Um, apparently. It, which, you know, the internet uh, is full of people with opinions. But, you know, the the sports writers I was reading today seem to say that this is kind of a common practice that coaches will call each other up and be like, hey, what did you say about this? What did you, and they'll just, like, send signs back and forth about things they, they think they've caught about a, common opponents, which seems wild to me that any coach would participate in that because then you know that somebody's doing that for you, like about mm-hmm. your signs. It's like a real weird process. Um but but so Michigan basically argues, you know, it's the exact same thing uh, that we did with with Connor Stallions allegedly did with Connor Stallions and and going to all these games and and recording the sidelines. But uh, just before we get into kind of what you think of Michigan trying to throw us under the bus, I mean, do you think those two are equivalent? 
sending a guy to record uh, sidelines versus a coach calling someone and being like, well, this is what we saw and, and this is what we think works. Yeah, it's that recording part that seems to be the big issue in this. So, Michigan, you've got tape on all these teams. It's advanced scouting, whereas these other teams, it's word of mouth. Like, that's... I. From what I understand, that's not illegal. It might be frowned upon, but um, Michigan, if this whole thing with Connor Stallions turns out to be true, and it looks like the cards are stacked against Michigan, um, that's not legal. So it it seems like they're trying to deflect very much so, especially from Jim Harbaugh. Um, Yeah. It kind of all adds up like, hey, we're not the only one doing this. Hey, Big Ten, don't punish our coach just because the NCAA isn't done with its investigation. You know, Michigan just looks very guilty in all of this, and it seems like they're trying to get themselves out of the corner that they've backed themselves into. Yeah, yeah, it's a real – somebody compared it to um, the Al Pacino – I forget which movie where he's like – I'm out of order. You're out of order. This whole courtroom is out of order. You know, it's like, it's not just me. Everybody's the problem here. Um, So I looked up, I was able to find, thanks to um, some folks on Twitter, thanks to Robert Baker on Twitter, sent me the actual NCAA bylaw that Michigan is accused of breaking. And I'm just going to read it because it's very short. Um, Mm -hmm. This is bylaw 11.6, scouting of opponents. 11.6.1 is off-campus in-person scouting prohibition. Off-campus, in-person scouting of future opponents in the same season is prohibited, except as provided in, and then there are two exceptions. Um, The exceptions do not apply here, um, so there's no sense in going through them. But it's, I mean, it's very straightforward. You gotta be, it has to be off-campus, has to be in-person of future opponents in the same season. So if, let's assume, for argument's sake, that everything against Connor Stallions and Michigan is true, and everything Michigan accused Purdue of is true. Let's assume that all everything is accurate. We know, then, that Michigan had people go off campus to opponents' games, which was in person, and scout future opponents mm-hmm. and record. We know, you know, if everything is accurate, as I said, we know that happened. What Purdue is alleged to have done is either make a phone call or receive a phone call from two Big Ten schools who played Michigan and said, here's what we saw with their defensive signs, here's what we saw with their offensive That means, even even if everything Purdue is being accused of is true, they did not send someone off campus to in-person scout a future opponent. They didn't do that. Michigan is not even accusing them of that. The argument that Michigan is making is there's a good sportsmanship, uh, apparently, rule within the Big Ten Conference and they are arguing that uh, people are saying that Michigan violated that. Um, so Michigan then argues, well, so did then Ohio, or Ohio State, Rutgers, and Purdue. And that's a little squishy because, you know, sportsmanship, what does that really mean? Is it really spelled out explicitly? I doubt that. But, but if you just look at the NCAA bylaws, Purdue did not violate anything. So I think Purdue is in the clear on that. That's always good. Plus, you know, with it being the old coaching regime, too, right? Um, that might make a little bit of a difference as well. Yeah, that would complicate just, things uh, for sure. 
Yeah. Since when does Michigan know anything about sportsmanship? <laughs> there, there's not been a Michigan man for probably four decades at Michigan. That's true. That's true. Um, I, I saw a, a bunch of people made this comparison on on Twitter of saying this is like if Purdue is basically being accused of talking to someone in first period who took the test because Purdue takes the test in third period. And you're trying to get as much information as you can, whereas Michigan simply took the answer key uh, right off the teacher's desk. And it's not a perfect analogy. It doesn't go, you know, exactly. But I think it, it makes a lot of sense because Purdue's getting secondhand information that really hasn't been verified to be accurate. I mean, Purdue doesn't know right. that Rutgers and Ohio State really have cracked these codes and have absolutely everything um, accurate in information that they're giving Purdue, assuming that they've given them, you know, a full look at the offensive signs and a full look at the defensive signs, as has been um, written about. So Purdue basically has to trust on faith that those things are accurate. Whereas, as you mentioned, Michigan has these on video, can go back, can look, can say, all right, they're holding up these signs and then this play happened. They're holding up these signs and then this play happened. You get the tendencies, you get the progression of the signs. You really get a, get to understand it a lot better when you can go back and look at them again and again and again versus trusting the word of uh, Ryan Day and whoever was coach at Rutgers at the time. Was it? I think it was still Shiano last year. I think it was Shiano. Yeah, and as a Buccaneers fan, I have a blood oath against that guy. Um, so I, I don't know that I trust a word he says, but I still think it's much more egregious what Michigan did. It does go against the exact letter of the bylaw. So I think while it's never fun to be dragged into a, a story like this, I think Purdue comes out not looking nearly as bad as Michigan. No, not at all. Um, just I, I, I can't stop think how this almost reflects even more poorly on Michigan. Oh, it does. Because they are absolutely trying to dig themselves out of this hole. And I don't think it's going to happen. Their best case scenario is that the Big Ten does not levy penalties against them right now and waits for this NCAA uh, investigation to play out. And basically you just buy yourself time. That's your best case. But if the new... Big Ten commissioner comes down and cracks down on you based on that sportsmanship rule. I Michigan said that they're going to fight tooth and nail against it with all legal means, but what means do you have? It's uh, it'll be a fun time, and I'm sure that's what puts the best interests of all of your athletes uh, together. I'm sure that's what it is, Michigan. Yeah, yeah. So two more things about this um, I want to say. Did you see the news about Connor Stallions uh, repairing a bunch of vacuums? Uh, Very briefly, and it's just this whole news story. It just, it's like, it just keeps getting weirder and weirder. So he's accused basically by his neighbor, I guess, went to like their HOA or somebody complaining that he had all these vacuum, used vacuums on on his porch and was, you know, selling them, and he was running a business out of his house, which he's not allowed to do, apparently. And the reviews for his vacuum business were all terrible, uh, saying that, like, they weren't refurbished, they weren't as new as promised, they had dirt and hair and everything. Um, But this Connor Stallions went down and, like, defended himself in small claims court and 
his defense was basically, this is a Michigan State fan who knows I work for Michigan, and he's just trying to slander me. And it's like, this is just a wacky, wacky story. Um, so the second thing... This guy. Yeah, uh, yeah, this I guy swear, just... you picked up a homeless man and just said, hey, you want a job? Yeah. He, he truly is the George Santos of college sports uh, at this point. I mean, just absolutely wild. So the, the last thing I want to say, and maybe this is a controversial opinion, I don't think the Big Ten should punish Michigan at this point. I don't think, like, we don't know everything the Big Ten has, um, so I'm only basing it off what we've seen in reporting and what has gone public, but I just think they don't know enough at this point to suspend them and you're going to hurt the players more than anything. And, and then you've got hard decisions to make about, do you pull them out of the big 10 title game? Do you say they're ineligible? Like, do you make them vacate the season already? I would want to know more before I made that decision. I would want to know what the NCAA has do has done. I would want to see all the evidence, but right now I'm fine with the big 10, not suspending them, not punishing them in any way. Do you agree or disagree? Yeah, I mean, just the petty side of myself wants Michigan not to be punished to win the national championship and then to have it all stripped. That would be fun. It would be fun. That would be the most glorious day. And uh, it's funny, being that I work at Ford, um, there's a lot of people who are from uh, from Michigan who are now over. So this whole story is a big talk there. But you have the Michigan State guys and the Michigan guys, and so I really gel with the Michigan State guys. I bet. And just I bet. Basking in all of this. Yeah. So it's fantastic. Yeah. Until it's, of course we brought up basketball. Right. Right. Yeah. It's what a what a wild story this has been. So we're gonna go ahead. We're gonna take our break now, and then come back, and we're gonna go all the way through talk about Purdue versus Sanford, and then Purdue versus Minnesota. We'll be right back. And we are back. So, going to talk Purdue basketball first. A lot of fun to see Purdue get back in action in a game that really matters. Purdue versus Samford, uh, the Bulldogs. We got to start with the tip-off because it was all the hype leading up to it. Ryan, were you as disappointed as I was in the tip-off? Absolutely. The guy didn't even jump. Robbie Hummel was talking about it, how Zach Eady was quoted, like, you better jump after all this hype and then just nothing plus the dude straight up shaved his head yeah like to make it even weirder uh i mean much ado about nothing yeah i guess it it was a weird choice i mean they they had this weird plan of trying to get Edie to tip it one way and then be able to intercept it was their hope i think but like you gotta at least jump I mean that was that was the whole fun of it. You knew you're not going to get the tip that way, but if you if you did so much leading up to it, I I was hoping for a little effort at least. Yeah, part of me wanted him to Edie to actually just tip directly to a Sanford player. Like he doesn't jump. It would just be funny. I mean, it's the first possession of the game in a game you know Purdue's going to win anyway. Like right. this is this is the fun of college sports. So you do that, it's fine. It's whatever. Um, if nothing else, it fuels Zach Eady a little bit extra. Yeah, that's so right. So I, I was fine with it either way. Slightly disappointed, yeah, but hey, t- 
10 seconds later, Fletcher Lawyer made a three, and I was happy. That's right. Um, and, you know, Purdue wins this game 98-45. Everyone on the bench gets to play. Um, a mm-hmm. lot of the walk-ons are playing four or five minutes in this one. So, you know, that that's how you know it was an absolute blowout. Um, Zach Eady gets a double-double once again, tw- um, 16-11 and 11 in this one. So he's one for one in the season with double-doubles. But uh, I think, to me, the best uh, part of this game was Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer going a combined 8 of 11 from three. Uh, just, I mean, absolutely incredible game from the two of those guys uh 39 minutes between them 24 points uh i mean that that's what you want to see out of the two of them who are truly going to be i mean such a key for this purdue team this year yeah when you when you said eight of eleven it was to me like that scene in the lion king where it's just like say it again (laughs) oh it was it was just so refreshing i mean I get you don't have your guys with seven feet wingspans going up and trying to block a shot for Lawyer and Smith, and you haven't hit that wall at the end of the season again. But starting eight of eleven is very promising. Mm-hmm. I don't think that you could have done much better. And let's be honest, one of those was a complete heat check for Braden Smith, who took his fifth from like yeah. thirty feet out. Yeah. So, even 80% is not going to happen for the rest of the year, but even a solid 40%, and I have no doubt that Purdue can be in any game this season with that kind of numbers. Yeah, and they ended the game uh, as a team 16 of 29 for 55% from three. And, I mean, if Purdue gets anywhere close to... If Purdue gets anywhere close to that number... Uh, during you know important games going into March, I mean that that's that, that's basically an unbeatable team uh, right there. Of course, we know they're not gonna you know shoot fifty five percent on the year, but my goodness, it was fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I think I was more so encouraged when it comes to three point shooting from Cam Heidi. Yeah, Just, he looked good. Uh, um, he looked very sharp in this game, and he didn't have a super big amount of minutes. Um, but in 16 minutes, he went three of four from three. You know, uh, three rebounds, two assists, two blocks. I told you, this man is a stat sheet yeah. stuff. No turnovers. He may also. have a five by five. Right. Yeah. Exactly. No turnovers either. So, like, he, of all people, I would think could have a five by five at some point. And that is incredibly rare. Yeah. Um, the one person, I, when it comes to threes, that I wasn't really encouraged by was Lance Jones. Yeah. But I give him a caveat on two of his, just because they were really winding down on the shot clock. And let's be honest, he didn't pull a David Jenkins. Yeah. Um, that's the only difference. But, yeah, he kind of struggled shooting the ball a bit, but everywhere else he did very well, I think, just especially on the defensive end. This guy uh, fighting over screens and just being an on-ball defender was really well done, and we knew that he was going to be that guy coming in, but also his athleticism. I mean, he went coast-to-coast right after a scrappy play. Yep. Um with the Sanford guy and just straight up flexed on everyone 
uh, shout out to Trey Kaufman Ren for, for sealing off his defender on that. Yeah, play. he did a great job on that. Uh, so that, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I enjoy the aspects of the game that Lance Jones excels at, and I think it's important for him to find his role early on, just so that he can focus even more on the aspects of the game that he's really good at. Now, he can shoot the ball well, don't get me wrong, but he has to take normal threes and not just jack up threes. Yeah, yeah, we talked about this, I think, when when uh, he committed, is you looked at his shooting percentages, and they kind of went down after, I believe, his first year. Um, but he was shooting more, and he was asked to carry more of a load. And I think it's hard for a player to go from being the guy who's asked to shoot you know, 10, 15 times a game to a guy who maybe is only going to get four or five shots. Um, so he will find his rhythm, I'm sure. But I, I wanted to mention him as well because I thought he played some pretty hard-nosed defense, but also he's a guy who's not going to back down. He's a guy who's not going to be intimidated. We saw that in the instance with the double technical. And then, as you said, he just he brushed it off and went down and took it coast-to-coast coast on the very next play. But he's a guy who I think you want on your side Um as a bit of an enforcer, a bit of a tough guy out there, um, he didn't look intimidated by anybody, and Purdue needs kind of that little bit of an edge. I think it's something that the rest of the team doesn't really have, um, so I thought that was a, a pretty great little addition. I don't know. Zach Eady had it a little bit when he did. Uh, he kind of what yanked a guy off. Uh, who was that? Was that uh, first? I can't even remember who it was. Well, he yanked the guy off of someone. It might have yeah. been a lawyer, too. But then he kind of, like, held his hand out trying to grab him, and he just didn't grab him. And then he stepped over him, and it was just an awkward situation that could have ended up in a technical or a double technical. And yeah. I, I, I don't know. It was just awkward more than anything. But if Zach gets scrappy, I don't know who's coming to – who's coming up against him. True, I wouldn't want true. to take on a 7-4 guy. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I think there were there were nothing but positives here. Uh, I know you mentioned the turnovers before we started recording, um, that you were a little mm-hmm. concerned about them, but you, you looked into it a little deeper, and it kind of allayed some of your fears. Why was that? Yeah, so looking at the turnovers, um, five of their 15 turnovers were actually from the bench squad, um, so you got Chase Martin, Carson Barrett, um, Little first, and then uh, Rail, and there's one uh, Sam King. So five of those turnovers came from them in the final four minutes. So that's more encouraging. I think ten turnovers you can live with if you're oh, Matt yeah. Painter. Oh, yeah. Um, that being said, eight of those came from the starting lineup. So... A little bit to clean up, but hey, it it happens. I mean, it's Purdue. There's going to be some turnovers. Um, I I know Braden Smith has got to work on those. He had three turnovers, and I know Lance Jones had two. So I think those are going to be your most likely culprits going forward just with the amount of minutes and the style of play. But if they can limit those to go along with excellent shooting, good rebounding and pretty much everything else that went right for this team. Um, they'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought Purdue played at a kind of a different pace for them in this game. They were really pushing the ball. Um, you know, Sanford was doing a bit of pressing and, 
and full court pressure, but Purdue handled it really well for the most part. Um, I think Painter talked about it after the game, how having a second ball handler out there in Lance Jones really does make a difference. And I think having both Smith and Jones out there allowed them to play at a different tempo, a different pace. Um, and that was a welcome sight for me. And I think a lot of Purdue fans out there. So overall, I think everybody looked good in their own way. Um, everybody had some highlights and I, I'm just, I'm really excited to see how the team continues to gel. Um, up next on Friday is Moorhead state. And, uh, just a reminder for those listening, that game is only on BTN plus. So the only way to watch that one on TV is with BTN+. Plus. But uh, I believe that is the last game of the CBTN+. Plus. So uh, no other games will be on BTN+, Plus after this Friday. Some on Peacock, though. So yeah, some on Peacock, but, you know, we're, we're getting rid of BTN+, Plus, so that's one less streamer you'll need after Friday. I've already got a reminder in my phone to cancel mine um, on at the end of the month, so... No worries for mm-hmm. me there, but I, I recommend uh, you all do the same if you only did the one-month subscription like I did. So Yeah, absolutely. Anything else what? about this Sanford game? Um, the only other person that I think truly needs to be mentioned was Miles Colvin. Okay. Just the pure athleticism that we know he has yeah. really showed out, and this guy is going to look to score – Every time he touches the ball. Yeah, nice I dunk. Really he had a nice alley-oop. Mm-hmm. Almost had two. Almost had two, Almost. but it missed the, the the first one. The pass wasn't as good as it could have been, um, and he, he was kind of getting it on the way down. But, the you know, I, I love the effort. I love seeing the athleticism. It's something that Purdue hasn't done a lot of in the past. So to see a guy mm-hmm. do that and take control really is, um, it's a different gear for this Purdue team and, and one that I think is much needed. Yeah. Um, I think also, sorry, I keep bringing up more stuff. No, you're fine. I I think a couple guys had some quiet minutes, uh, not necessarily bad minutes or didn't have that many stats, but just quiet minutes. And that was honestly Caleb First, Mason Gillis, and Ethan Morton. Yeah. All three of those guys got a little bit washed into the game. Um, obviously they all make contributions. Um, first and Morton each made a three Gillis had, you know, two rebounds and three assists. So th- they're good minutes. They're just, uh, not flashy. We'll, yeah. s- we'll say that. And it's, it's that log jam at the three and the four that's going to get Purdue all throughout this season. Um, that hopefully right. will allow, you know, you can look at it two ways. One is, people are going to be upset because they're not getting the minutes, but alternatively you can say it's good because Painter can ride the hot hand. Um, you know, you can't have a good game every game and Painter's got guys he can plug in there in case someone is struggling, in case someone is sick, maybe someone's hurt. Um, so it's good for the team, but maybe bad for the individual if, if they're only looking for stats. Um, and that can be hard. That can be tougher for guys that are these high level athletes. That can be a difficult situation. Yeah, and that begs the question, what's going to happen when Painter brings in five or six recruits? Yeah, I don't know. Being that it's National Signing Day on recording day, <laughs> when he brings in five or six recruits, I don't know what's going to happen then either. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think to me that's one of the hardest aspects of being a college basketball coach. Um, I think it's a lot easier in football. Sure, you have more guys, but you know, you got a lot of positions. You can throw guys out there on special teams. Um, you know, you can, you can find them places on the field in football. Whereas in basketball, you're bringing in 
anywhere from you know one to six guys in a recruiting class, and suddenly you got to find minutes for them, or you got to get them to agree to redshirt. And I mean, it, it's hard to make everyone happy. And in the the current climate of of college sports where we are, where there's NIL to deal with, there's transfers, the transfer portal, the ability to transfer freely. I mean, it makes it so important to kind of let folks know when they come in what the realistic picture is. You know, I don't think you can, you can, uh, you know, just bullshit guys and say, yeah, you're definitely going to play 30 minutes a game as a freshman. Because if, if you tell them that and they commit to your school and they come in and they only get five to 10 minutes a game, they have every right to, to bolt, to, to walk out that door and you would have only yourself to blame. And I think painter is honest with guys when he recruits them. He always talks about that. Um, and I hope that the guys coming in understand that it's, you know, minutes are a hot commodity. There's only so many in a game, and you can, you only get five people out there. So um, yep. you, you got to understand that it's going to be tough, and it's just going to get tougher and tougher as, as Purdue's recruiting classes get better and better. I mean, the one we signed today, eighth in the nation, depending on where you look. Ooh. And that's without the sixth man that everyone would like. Yeah, everybody is waiting on. So uh, yeah. we will we will see. Um, if if that sixth person comes uh, to Purdue, which I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful. I believe I believe we'll get some good news there. It's just a matter of when. Right. <laughs> All right. So, so we move on from basketball, and it is time to look ahead to Saturday's game against the Minnesota Golden Gophers, led of course by PJ Fleck, everyone's favorite Big Ten coach. Um, so Minnesota comes into this game five and four. They are. Uh, they just lost most recently um, in a uh, strange game to Illinois. Lost twenty six to twenty seven. They also had they blew that game in the fourth quarter earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they blew a game to Northwestern. They were up thirty one to ten going into the fourth quarter and wound up losing thirty seven to thirty four. So they've had some real letdowns in the fourth quarter, and it's they 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 need one win for bowl eligibility, and their remaining games are at Purdue, and then they play Ohio State and Wisconsin. So this is really their best shot at getting to a bowl game this year, playing against Purdue, and I think that probably will be some added motivation for them. But I just it's hard to get a read on this Minnesota team. Ryan, what stands out to you about them? Um, honestly, more so their defense. Yeah. Their offense is hit or miss. Um <laughs> Their their quarterback is he he's a quarterback. He we'll, we'll he certainly there, is. Ethan yeah, I yeah I don't know. I'm I'm butchered that a hundred times. I'm sure. I'm Kaliak Manis. I like yeah. It. Sure, it, it's very Greek. It is. Um, I mean, he's got he's got twelve hundred yards passing on the season. Which he's is a completing fifty four percent of his passes not good he's got 10 touchdowns yeah but man only only 143 yards per game that's I not mean, very minnesota good minnesota has learned to go and rely heavily on their running back right especially ever since the man uh tanner morgan finally left after his 14th year at minnesota mm-hmm. uh Minnesota is now realizing, hey, we've got running backs to spare almost. Let's rely on them. But here's the thing. Their running backs can't stay healthy. They have workhorse after workhorse after 
workhorse, and everyone seems to get injured at some point. So right now their top running back is Darius Taylor, who's a freshman who was put in because of injuries to a few others, and I think he's injured right now. Yeah, he's missed four of the last five games. Yeah, it's just like Minnesota, they have five different running backs who have over 120 yards rushing this season, but it's just like they only have 1,500 yards for the entire season, which is not bad, but if you're relying so heavily on the run game when your quarterback is not flashy in any sort of way, he's the most maybe stable or just meh quarterback, you'd expect a lot more rushing yards, kind of like with Michigan last year and Blake Corum. Right. But that's just not the case. They have 10 rushing touchdowns this season and 10 passing touchdowns. It's not great. Minnesota's offense is not really um, where you want to be. They probably have the most uh, sickos community win this season, winning 12-10 to over Iowa with four made field goals. Yeah. Yeah, I, that was an ugly football game. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I will say the one person on this team who can burn you is their uh, top receiver, Daniel Jackson. Guy's got 560 yards of their 1,200, so nearly half of nearly their receiving half, yeah. yards is one guy, and seven of their 10 touchdowns through the air. So if you're going to bracket someone, bracket Daniel Jackson. Yeah, yeah. The, the thing that confuses me about this Minnesota team is, as you said, you know, they're, they've done more damage on the ground than they have through the air, and they've just been plugging in running backs, and no matter who they plug in back there, they seem to be productive. Um, you know, everybody on the running back, um, in the running back unit can seemingly get some yards, so you would think that their offensive line is pretty solid. However, when I reached out to the folks um, at uh, the Daily Gopher, to talk about this game, they said their biggest concern on offense, their their weakness, is Minnesota's offensive line. Um, because between the tackles, they don't really have a consistent group, and they worry about any dominant defensive tackle um, causing a lot of problems from them or for them. So it's it's an interesting thing where you would you would think the offensive line would be a strength given how they can just plug in running backs, but that doesn't seem to be the case if you ask Minnesota fans. Absolutely, and honestly, when it comes to Minnesota, I feel like part of that is Minnesota is used to a standard when it comes to offensive lines. Like, if you don't have that's a 6'8", 400-pound, like, beef monster, you know, everybody's <laughs> tiny monster. compared to them. Yeah, that's... <laughs> so, and they consistently have three or four of those guys. It's insane. Like, they, they grow them big up in Minnesota. Um, so I think now that you have a normal offensive line, I don't know what the Minnesota fans think of that, and they probably find that to be a little bit lesser. Yeah, that's probably but, true. That's a good point. So I, I think Purdue's defense will not have the hardest time in the world against this Minnesota offense. I, I like to think that. So, um especially if the dynamic duo of Jenkins and Scorton can get moving yeah. and then the interior offensive line can plug some holes. 
they can do that, I think it could be a very slow day for Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. And on defense, um, again, reaching out to the folks at the, the Daily Gopher, they said their problem, they have a lot of mental lapses in their secondary. And as a Purdue fan, I understood that sentence. Um, you know, I understood that a lot. I felt it very deeply. Um, and, and he just said, even their star, their veteran All Big Ten safety, Tyler Newbin, has made his fair share of blunders. Uh, DBs are often not in position to make a play. And that's how Northwestern and Illinois came back to win those games. So, you know, I come into these podcasts doing research on the, on the team we're going to play. And every t- like the more research you do, the more I try to find ways that like to convince myself that Purdue can win. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, they, they've really done poorly in the fourth quarter. Uh, they've given up a lot of big plays. They're missing, you know, a few good running backs. Their offensive line isn't as good as it has been. They've got problems in the secondary. And I'm thinking, Purdue can find a way to win this. I think it's just that, that uh, those black and gold glasses just trying to creep back over my face after um, saying after the Nebraska game that I would probably not predict, pick Purdue again until the IU game. They're just—they're trying to bring me back in. Yep. Every time you think you're out. Exactly. Just like the Godfather. Mm-hmm. I I agree. So here's something that might help with their help knock me down a peg. Yeah, exactly. Their defense is pretty stout. So surprisingly, their leading tackler only has 50 tackles on the year. So their leading tackler is averaging a little over five tackles a game. That's absolutely insane to me. Okay. Um, So, I mean, they have like seven guys with 35 or more tackles. So they are really spread out on defense, if that makes sense. I mean, they're well-rounded. Yeah, we'll we'll put that. I mean, their defensive uh, front has 21 sacks on the year. But they've also forced 18 turnovers. That's a lot. That's It's like, for Minnesota, they're kind of like a boomer bust defense where you're either going to absolutely you know, go 60 yards or you're going to turn the ball over. Um, that's kind of terrifying if you're Purdue because Purdue doesn't have that many boom plays right. in their offense. Right. But... I think if you're Graham Harrell and your Purdue offense, you've got to find a way to try and go over the top. That's really your best bet because you're not going to wear this defense down. The only problem is Purdue has not been able to go over the top almost at all. At, yeah, at all. Maybe right, against ever. Illinois. Yeah. And, and, I mean, they did some against Virginia Tech, but even, even then, it, I mean, it's not like it happened a ton. Right. Absolutely. So... I do not have that much confidence in the game. I will be completely honest. Yeah, I, I don't either. I don't either. Um, you know, I'm I'm really looking forward to being there. I when we decided this was the game we were going to go to, I think I was, you know, I was younger then and more optimistic because uh, I really thought this was a game that Purdue had a really good chance of winning. And I don't I don't know. I mean, I just I don't think I feel that same way right now. Yeah, I I agree. Um, and somehow the spread is Purdue's favorite in this yeah, game. Yeah, I, I don't understand how Purdue is a one-point favorite going into this game. Uh, it I, Somebody knows something that I don't, I guess. It's one of those, it it's 
it almost seems too obvious to bet against Purdue here, so I'm not going to touch it. Maybe uh, maybe somehow we got Minnesota signs. Yeah, <laughs> that's it, I'm sure. That's it, I'm sure. So is there anything else you want to point out about this Minnesota team before we make our predictions? Um, they have a really good kicker whose okay. name is Dragon. No, it is not. It is. It is Dragon Kessich. That's amazing. How so, Like literally spelled like D-R-A-G-O-N? Yeah, it's very German, Dragon. Okay. But yeah, Dragon Kessich. He is 19 of 19 extra points, 18 of 21, and he is 2 of 3 from 50 plus and 4 of 5 from 40 to 49. Okay, yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I mean, I guess he did single-handedly win that Iowa game for him, so you got to assume he's got some talent. I guess single, right. single-leggedly. He, he, he single-leggedly won that game for them. Mm-hmm. Exactly. All right, so you want to make a prediction on this one? Yeah, um, I battled with this, and actually, while we were talking, I've gone back and forth so a couple I, times. I've done the exact same thing. Mm, I've got Minnesota winning twenty-four to seventeen. Minnesota twenty-four to seventeen, correct? Yeah. All right, mm-hmm. I I'm not far off from you. Um, I just I have absolutely no faith in this Purdue offense. Um, you know, they haven't scored over 14 points in, I believe, four games in the last four games. And even though the Minnesota uh, squad isn't exactly as good as they've been in the past, sure, they might have a fourth quarter collapse, but it's hard to rely on that as an opponent. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm picking against Purdue. I want to be surprised. I would love to see a Purdue victory, but I'm going Minnesota wins 21-10. to Smash the under. There you go. Yeah, smash that under. Uh, for sure. So there we go, folks. For Ryan and myself, thanks for listening. Hey, maybe Ryan and I will see each other in person for the first time this weekend. Uh, there you go, folks. Boiler up. Hammer down. <laughs>